Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. Hey, Gravy. It's good to see everybody. So, um, how you doing? Good to see you. Um, every year when we do something like a trunk or treat or Christmas or Easter, there, there's often somebody who, who wants to point out that that's a, that's a pagan, has pagan origins, and, and I don't deny that at all. Uh, what I will say is this. Christianity, from its infancy has always commandeered foreign festivals and made them ours. That's why Christmas is on December 25th. Not because that's the birth of Jesus, but because there was a pagan holiday and the Christians said, nope, it's not going to be pagan anymore. It's going to be about Jesus. And, um, and there's disagreement on this, but just so you know where I stand, I, I, would, I would prefer to do our very best to commandeer a, a pagan holiday say we're gonna we're gonna make this a place where people come and they can experience uh, a moment of prayer where they can or a moment of safety and they can be in, in a place where, where it's a church and so um, so that's what we're doing and also uh, side note uh, if you're buying candy buy feastables because Mr. B's candy is better than the other candy I hear um, that's what I was told by the little ones they said enough Hershey's we need feastables don't know where to get them there we go. Somebody knows. Somebody knows. <laughs> Half the audience is like, what is Feastables? Um, <clears throat> yes, I, I hear you. Um, Abigail talked about the Legacy Sunday, and I just want to tag on that for a moment. And uh, I just say, so a, as a church, it's, it's important that you kind of know how we operate financially. Um, when I grew up in the church, every time there was a special need, whether it was a, a missionary coming through or uh, some project the church wanted to accomplish, we would take up what we called a, uh, a special offering. And anybody ever remember taking up special offerings? They do special offerings. But it, it wasn't very special because they did it like once a month. You know what I mean? It was like another special offering. Like you did it three weeks ago. It wasn't, it was not special. Um, so so what that model of church looked like is anytime there's a, a need that we didn't anticipate, we just, we just ask everybody to give towards that. Nothing wrong with that. That's just not how we operate. How we operate is this. All the money that comes in on, uh, through, through regular giving, through our Sundays, through tithes and offering, all of that money comes in and we budget it. I know that's a strange concept but we budget it, and the things we can't do in that budget, we just don't do, okay? 
I know some of you are like, that's, that's, I've never heard of that before. It's amazing. I know. The church actually living by budget. And, and uh, so that's, that's, our, that's our goal. Like, for instance, like we just did this building program and all that. Uh, we were under budget on the project, and so we were able to accomplish uh, a, a couple of small things that you're actually going to start seeing some changes in the cafe area here in a little bit that wasn't part of the project, but because we were under budget on the project, we had more funds to, to, to finish that stuff out. Um, so we, we, that's how we operate as a church. And it's not easy. Uh, I would love to do all the fun things all the time, okay? Uh, and, but that's how we operate. All of our operational expenses come out of that. We don't have some sort of big benevolent giver in the sky that, man, that funds the church. This body of believers funds this church. And once a year we do what we call Legacy Sunday. Legacy Sunday is where we all come together and we just, we ask God what is the best that we can do this year and we give towards uh, those bigger uh, kingdom expansion type projects that aren't in our budget. Uh, th- this is not uh, a place where we, uh, we, we raise up money and then we like hire some staff member hoping that we raise that same amount of money next year. We don't do that. It's all like brick and mortar uh, stuff here in this church or around the valley, different missions efforts. That's, that's how we accomplish. Because there's other things we want to do. Like we want to build out our children's auditorium. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff we want to do, and it all, it all costs money. And for, if you're here today and you're like, oh, I knew it, the preacher's all about money, um, whatever. And uh, it's not, I can make a lot more money doing anything else, I'll just tell you that, okay? Anything. And um, uh, I'm not complaining, I'm just, I hate it when people say that, it's the dumbest thing, okay. So... Um, So we, we, um, we do the offering. What we do is we do this. Once a year, we do the, the legacy offering. I just ask everybody to, if this is not your home church, or if you're like, I think it really is all about money, and he's just whatever, then just, just don't give but come, because it's pretty fun, okay? Uh, but if, if, you, uh, if you consider a celebration your home church, and you want to be a part of moving the ball forward as a church, what I would ask you to do is pray about what's the best you can give? So ask God, God, what is the best I can give this year, above and beyond whatever I normally give, um, to, to, to really move the needle forward as far as, as kingdom capacity for this church and other ministries that we support? Um, and so what that would look like is praying about it, asking God, and, and he, 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 he's not going to bankrupt you. God will not bankrupt, but he, but he, he will likely um, stretch you a little bit. He'll likely push you farther than you, you are comfortable with. It's, it's what he does. Uh, as we heard, anybody here for the sermon last week, Pastor Mark Johnson? Yeah. Yep. One of the marks of, of uh, the Spirit working in believers' lives is we become generous. We become generous. Um, and so we ask you to, to pray about it. We also ask you to do this. Get with anybody you need to be with to make a financial decision. So don't make this decision on your own if, if you're married. Like, get, get with your spouse. Um, so that might be a spouse. That might be a business partner. It might be a, an accountant. Get with whoever you need to be with to make that financial decision and pray about it and ask God uh, for direction. Uh, is, is that all right? I had a guy... Uh, I don't know why I said this for service, but and I wasn't going to say it now, but it's, I think it's funny. So uh, I worked for this guy in Alaska whose business partner was his dog. 
And um, his dog would always be in the passenger seat of his, his vehicle. So when he'd be making deals, he'd be like, you know what? I need to talk to my business partner about that. <laughs> or I think my business partner doesn't think there's enough in this deal for it to work. And like, they thought there was these other people. It was his dog. And um, that's, that's pretty awesome. Hey, uh, so the other day I came home from, uh, from work. And from here, I work here at the church. And I came home. And when I got home, uh, my... <laughs> You're laughing like I don't work. Like, okay. So I, I came home, and uh, in the, the sink right next to uh, two of our kids' bedrooms, they're, they're in the bathroom, they're in the sink, there's all these little white uh, pieces of plastic, they're little square pieces of plastic. And I knew immediately what they were. Super excited. So I, I asked my wife, I said, hey, babe, who put this stuff in the sink? And they're like, they're soaking these white plastics. I was like, who did this? And my wife's like, I don't know who did it, and I don't know what it is. And, and just immediately, I knew who did it. It was my genius daughter. I knew it was her. And so, so I went straight to her, and I was like, hey, did you put the Rubik's Cube in the sink? And she was like, yes. I took the whole Rubik's Cube apart, put it in the sink so that all the stickers would come off of it, and then I'm going to paint it so that it looks right. I was like, that's my girl. I remember when I was a kid, and, and my, for some reason, my parents got, got us a Rubik's Cube. I think it was the worst idea ever, because I'm not that smart. Like, can anybody here solve a Rubik's Cube pretty quick? Okay, I got a couple. I got a couple people that are just like, yeah, you idiot, I can solve that with my eyes. I could never do it. I, I would, like, I'd spin that thing as much as I could. I would try all the things. I would, like, and can we be honest? The people that are raising their hand, they YouTubed algorithms to be able to do it. Let's just be honest with that. Right? They memorized YouTube stuff. Okay. But, but I, I learned a way to solve the Rubik's Cube every time. What I would do is I would, I would turn the top piece of Rubik's Cube 45 degrees to one side so that I could get my fingers under that corner piece and break it off. You know what I'm saying? Bust that first one off. And then you can get the rest of the Rubik's Cube pieces out and then reassemble it however you need it. Anybody else ever do that? <laughs> you are my people. And so my daughter, that's what she's doing, right? She's, she's, uh, she's soaking it to get the stickers off so she can paint it and make her own Rubik's Cube design. And uh, it made me proud. I was like, that's, that's, a, that's a good girl. Like, that's, a, that's a good girl. I don't know. I think we all do it, actually. I think we all, we all do the Rubik's Cube thing just in different areas of life. Because the truth is, all of us, no matter who you are, we all have moments in life, areas in life, where we can't find a solution to what we're facing. Like, all of us have an area of our life, like, like other areas may be fine, but an area of our life that is like a Rubik's Cube, it doesn't matter how many times we fiddle it, it doesn't matter how many times we look it up on YouTube, we just can't figure that stupid thing out, whether it's a, a solution to this overwhelming feeling that I'm having inside, whether it's a solution to like a relationship problem that's going on in my life, or maybe it's a bitterness that's just been simmering in my heart and I can't figure out how to get rid of it, or maybe it's just a loss that I have experienced and I can't get rid of the residue of that loss or maybe you're, you're parenting like you've been able to parent all the other kids just fine just that one kid you're like I, they're like a Rubik's Cube I can't figure out this one kid or maybe it's feeling like, like, like you, you just don't know what to do with there's these feelings inside or, or maybe it's a financial situation we, we all every one of us have an area of our life 
that is like a Rubik's Cube that we don't know how to solve. And so what we've been doing or what we've been attempting to do is instead of fixing it some other way, we've learned how to turn it 45 degrees and break it off and, and, and pull the pieces to make it fit. But the truth is, the more we do that, the looser the pieces become and it, it doesn't operate the way it used to operate. Like, like every time we, we, we force an issue in our life, it doesn't quite go back the way it works. And you will have a dysfunctional life if you keep trying to break the pieces off and find a shortcut. So my real question today is, is what do you do when there's an area of your life that you can't solve? What do you do when there's an area of your life that you can't manage on your own and you've been trying to find answers and it doesn't work? This is, this is why I love the Bible, actually. I love the Bible for a couple of reasons. Number one would be this, that it's the most accurate archaeological document in history. And what that means is, is anytime the Bible says that an event happened in a certain place, that event we discover happened in that certain place. Like when archaeologists go looking in that place, they'll find that whatever the Bible said happened there, they'll find proof that it happened there. And, and, and throughout history, people have tried to deny the Bible and say, no, that's not possible. It's, it, it, it's got lots of inconsistencies. It's historically and archaeologically inaccurate. But you just give it enough time and you give somebody with a shovel to dig deep enough and they will discover that what the Bible said happened had happened. So it's very reliable historically and archaeologically. But, but, but another thing is true. The Bible is very reliable when it comes to the practical things of our lives. Yes, the stories in the Bible are of real people in real places with real life situations going on, but, but those real life stories apply to our lives. And so I, I want to talk today about somebody who was able to solve all kinds of other problems in their life, but they had one area that was like a Rubik's Cube they couldn't open. And this is how they dealt with it. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says this, that the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. This guy Naaman was somebody who had a lot of success in life. Everything he accomplished, he won at. I mean, he's the guy that the king had, had great admiration for him. That every time he went to war, he would provide a, a great victory. He was a general that was held in a high regard. He was like, everything he does, he wins. And can I just tell you that it's frustrating when everything that you do seems to be success. Like, like maybe every area of your life, you seem to touch it and it turns to gold. Everything is successful except for there's this one thing that you can't do anything about. 
You may have a good job, you may have a good career, you may have good relationships, but there's more than likely one area that just frustrates you, that just gets you at your wit's end, that you wish you could change. Like Everything else is going good except that relationship with her. Everything else is fine. I just can't figure that thing out. And can I just tell you that one area that, that aggravates us, that frustrates us, that, that gets us sideways, it doesn't matter how successful we feel in all the other areas. We will always define ourselves by the area we can't fix. Naaman, although he had great admiration and although he won a lot of wars... He was a leper. It said, although he was a mighty warrior, he was a leper. Now, leprosy is not very common in today's age. There are, there are places where it uh, does occur, but not nearly at the rates that it did before. Leprosy is a, a disease that has open sores on the body. Um, it just, it, it's kind of like festering open sores all, all over your body. It's not enough to debilitate Naaman, but it, it, it is enough to discourage Naaman. Like, like we all have that thing, similar to leprosy, that it, it, it's, we all live with stuff that is, it's not enough to stop us, it's not enough to debilitate us, but it is enough to slow us down and make us question things. It, it's not enough to, to, to make Naaman uh, fail, but it is enough to make him wonder whether or not he's complete or whole. It, it's not enough to keep him from the battlefield, but it is enough to keep him from becoming close to other people. And so many of us have the same things. It, it's not enough to keep you from being successful in business, but it is enough to make you less than successful in your marriage. It, it's not enough from, to keep you from being successful in the world around you, but it is enough to keep you from being successful in your internal world. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what Naaman dealt with. And, and it says this, that at that time, the Aramean raiders... For all my Raiders fans, this is the Bible talking about you right now, coming against the people of God. There's a reason why Raider and Hater rhyme. It says, it says the Aramean Raiders, and this is interesting. So in the Bible, the, the, the king that Naaman is fighting for is the king of the, the king of Aram, and so the people that are that are raiding are called the uh, the Arameans. So what we're talking about is the, the, the same people that Naaman is a part of. Naaman's armies is what we're talking about. They had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. So Naaman, part of his job was to invade the land of Israel and take slaves. Not a great guy. Not a great mascot. Sorry. But <laughs> the people of Israel have been overtaken by an evil enemy empire. And what was going on is that at this point in Israel's history, they weren't living for God. So Israel had this, this um, 
this pattern of, of turning towards God and then falling away from God. Turning towards God and falling away from God. I just want to say this. If, if you ever feel like you don't belong to God because you're inconsistent, you're in the right place. Like living for God is often an inconsistent journey. It's a long journey in the same direction. And every time that we fall off and we become inconsistent and we, we fall away, let me just tell you, God is in the business of bringing us back in line with him. He's not in the business of shaming us. He's in the business of reconciling us, bringing us to him. And so this is what's going on is that the people of Israel have wandered from God. Let me say it like this. You can, you can remove yourself from the blessing of God. And it... But the thing is, it's a dangerous place to live. God didn't do this to them. They did this to them. Be careful who you blame. And so there, he had this, this slave girl was working for Naaman's wife. And it says this in verse 3, that one day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him from leprosy. I love this because, like, this girl is in, like, less than optimal com conditions. She's a slave in a foreign land. She probably witnessed violence. And, and yet this young girl had something inside of her from her childhood that she remembers that in Israel there's a prophet, and this prophet can do things at the hand of God. Like, th this guy has the ear of God, and when he, when he prays for people that are sick, they're healed. Like, when a young child is able to witness a, a, a parents that pray and, and God answers, like that never leaves them. When, when a young person is able to witness a, a miracle from God, that, that doesn't leave them. It's, it's important, mom and dad, it's important that we get our children in environments where they recognize where the God of Israel lands. Because in her worst moment... She recognized someone in need, and she says, that she says, I wish that he could see the prophet. He would heal him of his leprosy. And so Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. And so Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver. Yikes. 150 pounds of gold and 10 sets of clothing. Like that, <laughs> it just, to me, that just feels like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't line up. Like, uh, it seems to be getting like more and more valuable, like the less, and then 10 sets of clothing. Okay, um, it must be fancy clothes. Fancy pants. And so then it says, the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Somehow in the conversation between Naaman and the king, there was a misunderstanding. Because the servant girl told him there is a God that operates through a prophet in Israel. That's who he needs to see, is the prophet. And when he communicates it to the king of Aram, the king of Aram assumes the one who controls the God, the one who controls the prophet, is probably another king. And so he writes a letter to another king, not to the prophet. 
He writes a letter to the other king because he plans to, he plans to, to appeal to the authority that he sees as the, most, uh, the highest authority in the land. Can, can I just tell you that there are some things you will face in this life that no human authority can manage? There are some things in this life that no matter how much you pay, doesn't matter if you bring 50 donkeys, doesn't matter if you bring 150 pounds of gold, it doesn't matter if you have 10 sets of clothing, no human authority can deal with certain areas in our life. Like, there comes a point in time when we recognize I can't appeal to a high enough government, a business, a high enough medical authority to somehow manage the situation I'm facing. Like, like we, we, we can't turn to a high enough political leader. Like that's what we do. We, we'll see like uh, there's a, a problem in our nation and we think that the answer to the problem in our nation is to get really hyped up about political lead. Like some of you are just Chomping at the bit, ready for, for next year. Just getting the memes ready to go. Locked and loaded, you know? <laughs> there comes a time when you will recognize that it doesn't matter what political authority you appeal to, they don't have the authority to actually fix the problems our nation is facing. There will come a time when, when you recognize that, that the, the expert in that medical field, that they may, they may do their business in that field, but they don't have the authority to actually speak into I'm just telling you, like, there comes a time when we've got to appeal beyond, like some university professor that seems to be wise, like infinite wisdom. I'm telling you, there's a God with infinite wisdom, the one from whom all wisdom comes from, who stands above their authority level. This is one of the things that, makes, that has made Christianity thrive for, for, for over 2,000 years. It's, it's this, that, that we recognize there's a God that's above every human authority. This is why we thrive, not just in an, in fact, in America is the one place we don't thrive. But we thrive, especially in hostile environments where people discourage faith in Jesus. We thrive in communism. We thrive in, uh, in monarchies. We thrive in, 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 in any sort of system that wants to press down on us because we recognize our authority doesn't come from a human place. It comes from God. Like, I, I'm searching for answers not from you. I'm searching for answers from him. And, and this, this is a powerful thing because at some point, I, I just realized I, I can't buy my way into what I'm trying to get to. At some point, I realized I can't invest my way into my preferred future. At some point, I recognized I can't network and be happy enough, network my way into the favor that God desires for my life. At some point, I can't manipulate my way into the things I want. Instead, I've got to appeal to an authority that is beyond human authority. And so when, when the king of Israel, he reads this letter, he tears his clothes in dismay and he says, am I God? Because the letter said, you need to heal him. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. You see, the king of Israel understood something that is ironic in this whole story. Aram 
has been invading Israel, stealing their stuff and making their daughters slaves. That's the story. And then when the king of Aram is looking for help, he turns back to the people he's been harassing and says, hey, heal this man of leprosy. And the king is saying, I see what he's doing. He's giving me an impossible task. He's picking a fight. You know what I'm saying? You ever have somebody that like, they're just, they're just looking for trouble? You know what I'm saying? Like back in junior high, that kid, they're just always looking for trouble. The king of Israel realized something. This problem is above my pay grade. The king of Aram may think, I have some sort of influence here, but I do not have influence. It's above my pay grade because at some point there's problems we can't solve. And, and can I just tell you that God will allow you to keep trying to do what you've been trying to do, thinking that it's somehow going to fix your problems. He's not going to force his, his will on your life. So the other day... Um, well, this week, my oldest son got his driver's license this week. Yeah. Some of you are like, woo. The rest of you are like, oh. You've met him. I see. You've met him. He's actually a great driver. I'm super proud of him. But uh, when he was getting ready for his driver's test, I was like, okay, so you need to parallel park. Let's make sure you parallel park. And he's like, Dad, every one of my friends that has done parallel parking says that the Idaho thing doesn't require parallel parking. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. They don't. Crazy. Okay. If you work for the DMV, let's put that back in. We need people to know how to parallel park. Okay. How to use your mirrors and without your head out the window, how to parallel. It would be good. All right. We should also throw in like backing up a boat trail. Like a, that should be part of it. And so I took him out here in the church parking lot, and, and I put out some candlestick cones, and I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to parallel park. And so he's like, I got this, Dad. I know how to do it. And he drives up next to it and, like, totally misses it. Does it the next time. I'm like, you just smashed somebody's car. Does it another time. I'm like, you just smashed another person's car. Like, it just keeps it. And I'm like, when you're ready, I can tell you how to do it. And he's like, I don't need you to. I know what I'm doing. I'm like, obviously. Like, obviously. Obviously, you know what you're doing. Like, how's it working for you? So he just, he's getting frustrated and getting more upset, and he's just, I know how to. He's like, Dad, the, the, the driving instructor showed us how to do it, and this is what he said to do it. And in my mind, I was like, well, then your driver instructor probably don't need to be a driver instructor. <laughs> or more than likely, you weren't listening to the driver instructor. Like, that's probably what was really going on. And so, so we finally, he's like, he's like, he's like, all right, so. Uh, finally, I said, can I just be your dad for a minute? And he, he's like, fine. I was like, okay, here's what I want you to do. I show him how to do it. First try, like, boom. He's like, that really worked. I'm like, yeah, listening to your dad really works. <laughs> crazy thing. That, crazy. It's just that there are people in your life that care about you and want you to do better than they have done. Like, that's amazing. And so he does the driver's test. He's like, I didn't even need that. God's like that. God will sit there while, while you're trying to, what, God will sit there while you are saying, the way that I'm going to parallel park is I will move the cones wider to make the space bigger, right? <laughs> That's how we're going to do it. God will allow you to do all that mess and wait for you to turn to him. He will allow you to appeal 
to a human authority. He, he will allow you to try all the stuff you've been trying before you turn to him. Like he's not intimidated being the last choice for change. Let me say it like this. God will allow you to spin the wheels of your life trying to parallel park. Like, like he will just let you. Like he, God will stand by and let you go have sex with that person because you think that's going to solve the pain inside. He will let you go and drink that drink thinking that somehow if you just got enough drink in you that somehow the pain would go away. God will let you do that. He's not going to stop you from doing that. He's going to let God will let you put that drug. He will let you put that drug in your body. Not because he wants you to have the drug in your body, but because he will let you spin your wheels figuring out that you don't know how to parallel park, even though someone told you that they told you, but you didn't know how to parallel park. God will allow you to go buy a house you can't afford while he's waiting for you to finally turn to him and say, God, how do I do this? God will allow you to just keep buying car after car, rolling debt into debt into debt, just waiting for you to finally turn to him and say, God, can you show me how to park this car? God will let you you go from career to career, replanting yourself every seven years. God will let you do that until you come to a place where you say, God, I don't know the answer to this Rubik's Cube. I don't know how to park this parallel park. I need your help. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes In dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet in Israel. Uh, the, the prophet Elisha has this confidence. He just says, send him to me. Don't be upset. Send him to me. He has a confidence, not in himself, but he has discovered a confidence in God. And when we have confidence in God, we, we can say, come on, bring him in. Bring him in. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots. Like He's got his horses, his chariots. He's got a 750 pounds of silver. He's got his 150 pounds of gold. Or maybe the king kept all that. I don't know. Actually, it doesn't say it. So maybe he kept all the fun stuff, the 10, the ten sets of clothing. That's just a weird gift. I've never gone to someone's house with... <laughs> Your wardrobe needs a little help, so... I was at Burlington Coat Factory and thought I'd hook you up with some FUBU. Like, it's just. <laughs> so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. Watch this. So the general Naaman comes to Elisha's house. He's at the door of the house. But Elisha sends a messenger. That is so rude. You have the general of an army that is ransacking your nation at your front door asking for help, and you delegate it to somebody else. Rude. Emotional IQ, zero. He sends him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and he stalked away. Is what he says. I thought he would have certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hands over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord God and heal me. 
aren't the rivers of Damascus and, and, and the, the, the Abana and, and the Parfar, aren't these better rivers than the rivers here in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And so Naaman turned and he went away enraged. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want to talk about just three things that if there's an area of your life that you're hoping God will address... If you're willing to let God heal an area of your life, here are three things that you've got to do. And the first is this. If there's an area of your life that you just can't seem to get control of, you you, you have got to discard your assumptions. You've got to discard your assumptions. Look at the very first words name it says. He says, I thought, I expected, aren't. Like, like, he's like, I, I, I'm the one that knows. Like, I thought he was going to do what I thought he was going to do when he thought he was going to do it. Like, I expected him to do it how I wanted him to do it. Like, like can I just tell you that, that you can expect God to perform something in a certain way, but God rarely performs our answers in the way that we're looking. Naaman's big flaw here was he had expectations of God that were not realistic expectations of God. His expectations of God was that I would show up, I would tell him what to do, where to do it, and when to do it, and how to do it, and he would do it. But can I just tell you that God rarely behaves that way. Naaman wanted the miracle, but he wanted the miracle on his terms. He wanted waving of hands and calling on the name of the Lord. He wanted the actual prophet. He didn't want some servant. Can I just tell you that when, when, when God tells us to do something, it rarely looks like how we would want it to happen. Because if God operated, if God consistently operated based on what we thought, preferred, or imagined, then we would have a God that is limited by our imagination, by our thoughts and our preferences. But your Bible says this, that now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can even ask or think, that word think there can be used as, it can be used as imagine, like he can do above all we can imagine, that God is the God that wants to reach into our situations. So don't limit him by your expectations and assumptions. Like, God, I want you to fix my financial situation, but I want you to fix it like this. God, I want you to fix my financial situation, but it's got to look like a great aunt from Ireland who owns a castle. God, I want you to free me from my addictions, but I'm not going to any kind of inpatient service. God, I want you to heal my marriage, but I will not say sorry first. Sometimes we are more committed to our preferences than we are to the freedom that God has for our lives. Like, like I want to be healed, but I want to be healed in this way. And can I just tell you, if you want to be healed, if you want the freedom that God has for you, you must discard your assumptions about God because God will surprise you. He's the God of surprises. You've, you've got to be willing to discard your assumptions because he will allow you to get to a place where he is your last choice. He will allow you to try everything else. And when everything has failed, he'll say, are you done thinking you've got it figured out? And the truth is is that for some of us in this room, 
we will experience more pain in our lives than we needed to because we turned to him later than we should have. There's got to come a place in our lives where we say, God, like, I, I just need a breakthrough in my life, and, and I have no assumptions here. I'm just coming to you. I need a breakthrough in my life. God, I need you, I need you to intervene on behalf of my child, and, and I don't have any expectations. I just need you to help set that child free. Like, God, whatever's going on in my finances, I just need you to help me get my finances in order, even if that means that I have to be accountable to other people and have them see my finances. God forbid. If I want my marriage restored, whatever it is. We can't be married more to our preferences than to freedom. Verse 13, but, but his officers, so they see him get mad, shout out his assumptions, and his officers tried to reason with him, and they said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? If, if he told you to climb a mountain, you would have climbed the mountain. If, if he would have told you to, I'm imagining like the knights who say knee, right? Like if, if he'd have told you to go find a herring, like you would have. So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured. We've got to discard our assumptions, but the next thing is we've got to try what is uncomfortable. And, and what is uncomfortable is often what is simple. That's why it's uncomfortable. Because we want a fancy solution. He, he, he says to dip in the Jordan River, and I've been to the Jordan River. Uh, I, I was baptized in the Jordan River by my friend Chad, and uh, it was nice, it was pretty. It, it, I'm going to show you a picture, but it wasn't this place. Where I got baptized, it was real, there, there, but not, it wasn't like that. Where I did it, it was super clear water. You could see beneath. I had fish nibbling at my toes the entire time. It was amazing. Uh, there was like rubber mats on the ground beneath. Like this nice boardwalk you walked down. There was a gift shop. Want to know why? Because it was touristy. But you get away from the touristy area and you get farther down on the river closer to the Dead Sea, which is more central to where all the people live. And this is what the river looks like. It's muddy. It's kind of a mix between brown and green. It's not big. It's not significant. Like it's smaller than the Boise River. It's not a big river. There's nothing to it. And so he says, like, can't I do something cleaner? Like, can I do something that, that makes it, like, why don't I journey back home and go do somewhere clear? Like, don't you realize that I have open sores all over my body, and you're wanting me to dip in a dirty river? That sounds uncomfortable. Like, don't you realize that I'm the commander of, a, of an army? I came here with 750 pounds of silver, more silver than you've seen in your life. Like, I came here with 150 pounds of gold. I came here with 10, not nine. Ten sets of clothing for someone else. That's how extravagant I am. He brought an entourage, chariots and soldiers, and you're asking him to go do squats in a muddy river. Too uncomfortable, too simple. I need fancy waving of the hands. I need some difficult task to earn this favor from God. Can I just say, Naaman's miracle was on the other side of his willingness to do what was both uncomfortable and simple. 
So, so what is God calling you to do? Like from the other side, like from the other side of uncomfortable and simple, what is God call? Like, hello from the other side. Like, what is, what is God calling you to do? What, what is he, because like, it, it's simple, like, 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 God, I need you to restore this, this relationship, and, and maybe it's simple, but it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's, I, I need you to forgive them, but I'm not forgiving her until she admits what she did to me. <laughs> uncomfortable and simple. Will, will you dip in the simple waters of forgiveness? It doesn't have to be fancy, like, like uh, God, I, I just, I just, I want all these like, like, anytime God does something, it's, it's uncomfortable and it's simple. Like, Paul and Silas, they're, they're in this prison. Two, two New Testament uh, men of God, they're in this prison. And they're not in ideal circumstances. And while they're in the uncomfortable prison, they recognize that their spirits are discouraged, so we're going to worship God. Like, that's a great solution to when I'm discouraged. I'm going to worship. So they start worshiping God. And the Bible tells us that in the middle of that, like the chains break, the walls of the prison rattle apart, and everyone in the prison is is set free, and the jailer's family all come to the Lord because they were willing to be uncomfortable and worship God. And so, like, preacher, I, I just find it like... Standing in a group full of people on, on a Sunday morning, raising my hands like this and singing songs just makes me super uncomfortable. But you'll go do it at Guns N' Roses tonight. Right? Somebody's like, Guns N' Roses tonight here in Nampa? Yeah. Like some of you go, like Jason Aldean, like you go, like Taylor Swift, you go, but, but when you come to church, you're like, Somebody's still stuck on Guns N' Roses. Yes, they're playing tonight in Nampa. I'm saying if you want freedom, you've got to be willing to do what is uncomfortable and what is simple. And God's going to speak to you about what it is. In a few minutes, I'm going to have a moment where we're going to let God speak to us. But... If God tells you to do something like have a blow horn and be on the side of the street with a sign or something, that's do it. Just don't wear any celebration merch. <laughs> no, seriously, don't. <laughs> so Naaman, so Naaman went, down, went down to the Jordan River. Almost ready. Okay, so Naaman went down to the Jordan River. And he dipped himself seven times and as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. You've got to get rid of your assumptions. You've got to try what is uncomfortable and simple. Getting involved in a small group, that doesn't sound nearly sophisticated enough. Simple, uncomfortable, try it. And last is this. Naaman had to be humble. Because God is attracted to humility. God is attracted to, to people who are, are willing to humble themselves before God. In fact, the Bible says this, that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humility is like a gravitational force that draws God towards people. And what's beautiful is Naaman wasn't actually humbling himself before a prophet named Elisha. Because remember, Elisha 
he delegated the responsibility to go talk to Naaman. So Naaman wasn't humbling himself before Elisha. He was humbling himself before the word of God. And I just want to say, like, that's, if, if you're here today and, and you're serious about your walk with God and you're serious about change, you've got to be willing to humble yourself before what the word of God tells you to do. I've got to do it. I've got to lose my assumptions. I've got to try what is uncomfortable. And I must be humble. And what's beautiful about this is Verse 15 says, The Naaman and his entire party, they went back to find the man of God, and they stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except for Israel. Naaman says this, Now I know. While I didn't know, and there's this part of my life that was messed up, now I know that there's a God I can turn to, and he is the only one who has the answers. And it wasn't just him, it was all his party. It was, every, it was all the army guys with him. What God wants to do in your life isn't just about you. There are other people that are watching you. There are other people in your sphere of influence that are watching what God is doing in your life. And God wants to do a miracle, do a work, do a slow progress of transformation, whatever it is. He wants to do it in your life in a way that other people can see it. What's really funny to me about this passage is so Naaman comes to me and says, there's no God in all of Israel. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm, going to do, I'm, I'm getting rid of all my idols. I'm only going to worship the one true God. And then he says this, but God's going to have to forgive me of this one little thing. Uh, and that is that when the king of Aram goes to, to uh, worship his false gods, I'm going to have to hold his arm when he goes into the false temple. But God, just please forgive me for that. <laughs> I think it's so funny. Because he's like, God, God, you're so true. You're, so, you're, the, you're the one real God. But I still have this one area I'm working on. Can I just say God's okay with you having that one area you're still working on? He's not intimidated by it. He just wants you to keep moving forward. Would you stand with me all across the room? one of the things I love about our church is there, there's a lot of stories of people who say, you know, my old friends, I ran into some old friends recently and they just couldn't believe who I am now. They couldn't believe what's, what's different in my life now. I ran into an old friend from high school. I just, I just, she just didn't, she didn't know that I was the same. Like they didn't realize what God was doing in my life. Can I say that when, when, when you allow God to fix your Rubik's Cube, instead of you trying to break it and manipulate it, it's not just about you. It's about others. So in just a minute, we're going to do two things. We're gonna, number one, I'm going to talk to people that are coming to Jesus real quick, and then I'm going to give instructions for everybody. So first is this. If you're in the room today and you recognize what your soul desires most right now is to just be made right with, to be in good relationship with God. And you want that. If that's you, 
we're going to simply repent and believe. Here's what that looks like. Repent means we turn away from the things that we think, do, and say that don't please God. Then we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. It cleanses us from all sin. He makes us right with God. So if, if you would identify, I need to be made right with God, if that's you, I want you to join me in repenting and believing. Pray something like this. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. He was buried and three days later he rose, conquering death, hell, the grave, everything that could come against me. So right now I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus alone. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. If you just if you just prayed that for the first time, maybe in a long time or, or ever, would you just put a hand up so I can see who I'm talking to today? Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, I see that hand. That's good. Come on, church. There's some people who just made the best decision of their life. That's good. Now, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. You might have heard this whole message and been like, that. that's really good bible story but not very practical. What are my next steps? And your, your next steps are to have the Spirit of God speak to you about what is the area of your life that you need to be willing to step into what is uncomfortable and simple. For some of you, he's going to talk to you about repenting. For some of you, he's going to talk to you about forgiving, making something right, Maybe for some of you, it's a strategy or a next step. But I believe the Lord will speak to us if we give him time. Is that okay? So during this next time, we're going we're gonna to have the worship team begin to sing. Um, I want the, word, the prayer team to come forward. If, if you're in the house today and, and you came and you have a real prayer need, you have, you have an area of your life that you, you want an actual person to pray with you about, during this message, just, just come forward. No one, no one is thinking anything more than you're making the right step. So if you need prayer, I want you to come down to these. And for the rest of us, here's what I want to say. Let's take a minute during the song. and Don't get fixed up on the words. Let's ask the Spirit of God, God, what is my next step? What are you speaking to me through this message? Is that all right? And then what we do is we do whatever he says. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.